Thank you, sister. Um, a little bit of a late announcement. The, the book that you received in, in mail and the book that's back there on that table, if you don't have one, you can get one this morning. And um, next week we're going to focus on this little book. And I would just encourage you to, this is a way, this is a, a tool. It's not the tool, it's a tool. Uh, to help share some concepts that maybe from someone else's perspective that helps us grow and mature and be sanctified in Christ and, and develop as Christians. And, and I just wanted to um, I just wanted to read from page 65 in this little book. It talks about why do we worship? What, what are we here for? And I'll just read a, a couple sentences. They're kind of breaking in. It's hard to do. The author says, corporate worship is, is similar. While we address worship to God, we simultaneously spur, spur one another on. He goes on to say, Let the, listen to these praises. Delight yourself in the soul in the Lord. Take comfort in his promise. He says, the, there's one reason why Paul insists that everything said or sung in a church should be intelligible to everyone. The whole church should benefit spiritually from every word, every song, and every prayer. In other words, not only are we here to worship God, to direct our, to direct our worship to God, it's, it's by singing and praying and reading the scriptures and th- that we encourage one another I, I believe fully that we should focus on the vertical relationship primarily, and it's the most important thing. But what happens when we gather together, and that's why the church is called to gather in person, is when we gather together, we're encouraging one another. You have no idea what a handshake, or if you're not comfortable with that, a fist bump, or whatever it is that we do now, um, means to people or a good morning or a hello uh, it, it, it does my soul good to hear us sing um, living for Jesus it's kind of like we're singing that that's if you know we sing a school fight song or whatever it's it's we're singing together we're going to talk about this next week but we're encouraging one another as we lift our voices not just so God can hear them but so we can Encourage one another. Yeah, David, live for Jesus. That's the way we do it. Brian, become a sanctuary. Prepare our hearts. Or singing back to me is um, Chad sings, you know, my heart is prone to wander. And, I, and I, every time I sing that line in that song, I think how easy it is for me to wander from the fold of God. And so uh, those are the kind of things in that little book. If you have one, um, please begin at least to look at it. I, I hear people say, well, I don't like to read. And man, in a country where most people are literate and, and the fact that we have resources to, to not just cherish that, cherish that. I get the fact that not everybody's a, a voracious reader, but, but uh, just think about all the things you wouldn't know if you had not read. And, and that, I mean, we would be ignorant, I mean, literally. And so uh, if we're going to read about sports or something technical or 
how to slay the greatest giant in the world, we can read about Christian things. So there we have it. We're walking down this path about living in a manner worthy of the gospel. And I just, I don't know where to put this comment, and I'm just going to do it right here at the top. The topic I'm about to cover today is a topic that I'm the least qualified to, to talk about. It's the topic that I, I, I come across it literally, and I'm not false humility, just as a, just as a, a total loser. It's a topic that I want to be good at. It's a topic that I want to excel at. And if it wasn't for the grace of God in my life, I couldn't even stand here and I couldn't even talk to you about it. It's a topic that's easy to joke about, to make fun about. It's a topic that I've not handled very well. It's a topic that I've, my words probably haven't done what I should have. It's so this is what's going on in my heart and has been for a couple of weeks as I actually we changed some things up in the preaching rotation and and I, and I this is a topic I did not want to be quite frank with you. And when you're kind of making the schedule, you can kind of do that and it's a topic that I ended up with. And I just, I, I want to say more than I've ever said to you or any congregation, I am not at all talking at anybody this morning. I am not coming from this high and mighty lofty position. I am sincerely coming to you as a man who knows what God's word says and who is a fellow pilgrim and struggler in these things. The word of God, we come into the fourth chapter and we've been talking about how we should live because of the gospel. And, and so the word of God, we come to this morning for the ex expertise on the topic. Our our. Our total message comes from the Word of God. And so let me set the stage very clearly. I believe emphatically, I would die for it, and I, I'm not using those words lightly, I would take a bullet for this. The Word of God is, in, in, is infallible, it's inerrant, and it's inspired. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and I'm willing to rest my life on that. I mean that. And so, so when we come, we're looking at the Bible as his story. It's, the Bible's not a, a moral help book. It's, it's not how to get better at all these things. The Bible is this story of God and how he allows us into this story. And he shares with us the benefits that we get because we're in relationship with this mighty God. And so we've been looking at this little epistle where the Apostle Paul does what I, what I would just, I, I pray, I, I think we'll get to encounter Paul, but I just want to say, man, thanks for the way that you wrote this letter to the Ephesians. The, the words you use and the way you, you, you describe the gospel, that's exciting. And it did so much. And thank you for saying things like the riches of 
Christ's grace, the, the fact that he lavished him up on us, the fullness of time, the hope in Christ, the praise of his glory, the gospel of salvation, the guarantee of our inheritance, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Those are words. And he's saying, that's who you are in Christ. You were dead in your sin and trespasses. And then through Jesus, you've been saved and given new life. And so this morning, if that's where we are, the gospel blessing of newness of life gives way to the gospel commands. Because we are saved, we are to obey. Because Jesus has done this work in our lives, we are to do certain things. We're no longer to act like the pagans, but in Ephesians chapter 4, we are to live in a manner different. So in other words, because I'm saved, it should affect and maybe in even infect my life with the way I live. And so we've, we've spent weeks talking about when we come to, to relationships. Now we're going to move into relationships. It's, it's wives and husbands. It's parents and children. It's slaves and masters. If you like better, employees and employers. And so now we come to the primary relationships of our life. And so he's building all these things. He's going to say all these things about our relationships based on the fact that we should live in a manner. We, we've changed our, so, so things like we, we speak truth and love, that's, that affects our relationships. We, we are no longer angry. We're, we're no longer being indulgent in our lifestyles like being intoxicated, but we're filled with the Spirit. We, we work, not just to, to make money, but we work as unto the Lord. We're, we're gentle and patient. All these things we've been talking about for weeks. And so this morning... We approach the first of these relationships, the marital relationships, and he's saying, husbands and wives, this is how you relate to one another. But before I go on, I want to make a few other introductory statements. And these are very important to me. I've already talked about the Bible. Everything I'm trying to say, hopefully, will be from the Bible. I want to make another statement that I, I can't believe that you even have to make in a church. But the Bible teaches that God, listen to me, I'm going to choose my words carefully. God created humans as male and female, period. And I want to put an exclamation point there. There's no other. There's, there's nothing other option. No matter what outside these walls they want to tell you, there is not another option. There's a male and a female. And marriage, the Bible clearly teaches that marriage was ordained by God. It was instituted by him. And it's in a heterosexual relationship between one man and one woman. And that is an exclamation point. We believe in anything else than it's between a man and a woman ordained by God. Again, I'm using my words carefully. It's an abomination before a holy God. And if anybody believes it's different than I am saying, based on Scripture, you need to call your salvation into question because you can't believe something else. It's just impossible. There are roles in a marriage. The Bible clearly teaches there are husbands and wives. 
So we have a biblical marriage, biblical husbands, and biblical wives. So first, let's begin, if you will, look with me. Just keep your Bibles open to Ephesians 5. I'm starting with the marriage first. I'm working my way back up. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, or in some translations, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. Paul goes back, and here's what's significant. He's not relating to first century culture. He goes back to the creation order. Very important, brothers and sisters. Paul goes back to Genesis and says, In Genesis, God took a man and a woman and ordained them to be set apart in a marriage. Now, marriage is tough. Let's make no mistake about it. I'm not going to embarrass my wife. She's lived with me for 33 years. And to be quite frank, she's had every reason not to. Every reason. We've been at it a day or two. We've got a few scars and a few wounds. And we're married today, not because we love each other, not because I'm the apple of her eye, and not because I'm anything great. I'm saying this to you as seriously as I can. We are married only because of Jesus. I love her. She's all those things to me. But I don't think we would be married today if it was not for Jesus. So if you're younger, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm not the oldest, I'm not the most senior married person in the room, so I still, I'm not an expert, but let me just tell you, someone been married less than 33 years, it's because of Jesus. If you go into marriage for any other reason and think you're going to hold it together for any other reason than Jesus, it's not going to happen. It's, you just got to get lucky. I heard someone say that 69% of all marital conflict is unresolvable. Now just think about that. I, I said that to another brother in Christ in mine this week, and he said, absolutely, I think that's true. Meaning that in your marriage relationship, you're not going to resolve all the conflict. I mean, Kim can't change the fact that Nate and Wilma and, and developed me in, in the environment I grew up in. She, can't, she can't change that. And there's things I just come with. And, and, and the same is true for her. We, we're not going to... But, but you see in Ephesians 4, if I'm living in this manner that's been changed and impacted by Jesus, are you with me? Then, then that conflict that's so massive that may cause divorce and disharmony in any other relationship, if I am trying to live under the authority of Christ, then, it, then I could... It can maybe make it. A couple of things about marriage I've already mentioned a few times. God ordained it. It was for his glory and our good. We're going to come to the, the end of it about what marriage really is a picture of. And that's why I think any other form of marriage between a man and a woman is an abomination to God. It's because God's glory is demonstrated in this family unit. And it's for our good. Do you remember when God created Adam? Do you remember when we were back in Genesis? What he said when he just created Adam? He said it's not what for man to be alone. It's not, 
It's not good. You know your Bibles, St. Louis Cross. You know your Bibles. In other words, there was something that God knew he had to complete. And, and I believe literally out of Adam was Eve created. I think that's the plan. And so it's for God's glory and our good. And it's also a, a profound mystery. Not a mystery in sense of Sherlock Holmes, like you got to use deductive reasoning skills to figure out how to make it. Although as a married man, and I'm going to try not to joke, but got to have a little levity here. I mean, sometimes it's hard to figure Kim out, just quite frankly. I, I mean, I'm like, oh my. And I know the same is true for her to me. But that's not the mystery we're talking about. The mystery Paul's referring to in Ephesians is that something that was hidden in the Old Testament, in the prophets, now has come to fruition, now has been manifested, and now he's revealing it. And so when we understand that, what Paul's saying is marriage has all along been a picture of Christ in the church, of Christ the bridegroom and the church the bride. It's this beautiful picture and we're going to see how those roles play out. And so in a sense, that, that great relationship between Christ and the church, us, is a picture of us with our bridegroom, Christ. Now, we're an ugly bride. We're, we're not a very good catch, the church. We're, we're actually a terrible catch but because of this love of our of our savior he sacrificed and he went and 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 redeemed us and the bible says in ephesians 5 he's preparing us for this long-term eternal relationship with him isn't that wonderful isn't that what we've been singing about it's good news i want to pause for just a moment and make one more statement. Marriage is as important as anything. I believe marriage is the most important human institution because it was ordained by God. And let me say this, please church, hear me. Marriage in the family is under attack and it's not by accident. The significance of the attack on the family and marriage is from the very pit of hell, and it's from Satan himself. What's under attack? The church and the family. Is it any, do you think it's a coincidence? No. We're going to talk about spiritual warfare at the end of Ephesians, but this is where it's at. Is it, it you take one man and one woman and tell them to put the cross of Christ on their marriage. And let me just tell you something. It's uphill. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, Satan hates godly marriages. He can't stand them. He would rather you be in and out of beds and homes of everybody else. He would, he would rather you not have this genuine relationship. And he definitely don't want your home to be a lighthouse for the gospel. By the way, that's what we are. 
We, we leave here and go into these little homes across wherever we are in Bartholomew County and uh, surrounding counties, and we are little lighthouses along the path of the gospel. It's not about you and your wife or your husband. It's not about you and your kids only. It's about the fact that in your home is the light of the gospel. Hey, we got to get back to that, amen? And your neighbors see the way you interact with each other. Unfortunately, at times, I've already confessed this in some sermons, not very well. And my heart literally has been broken by that this week. So, we're going to turn our, our attention back to the beginning, to wives. Verse 22. I'm reading from the Word of God, inspired, inerrant, and infallible. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Immediately, I get heartburn when I was even trying to put this message together. And in some, in some ways, we're almost ready to make those words illegal. And by the way, just one more note. We're going to talk about it, Lord willing, in July. But do you realize, and I wonder how many of you will visit me because I won't stop preaching it here. What I'm saying this morning is in Canada, and if you don't believe me, Google it, is hate speech that can be jellable. And it's coming to America. It's coming to America when we stand in a pulpit and we say that marriage is between one man and one woman. They're going to say that I'm discriminating against all other people and that I have hatred and I'm, that I'm actually, that hate speech is illegal. Now, you guys think I'm, I'm not trying to joke and I'm not trying to scare you. You Google it, it's common. When we tell people that a union between a, a male and a female is the only thing God ordains, we're closed-minded. And so even when we talk about submission, that sounds like lots of other things. But let me tell every woman, and let, let me just say this. I do want to give one credence. I'm the father of two daughters that I literally love more than anything and I have two granddaughters and let me say in the love of Christ you mess with any of them and you've got me to deal with so you understand I think women are pretty awesome and I think they're the best but when we tell them to submit I do not mean Dear sisters, I don't mean you're inferior in any way. I don't mean that you're lesser. I don't mean you have less intelligence. I don't mean that you're less capable. I do not mean to be subservient. I do not mean that you do not have any worth or that our worths are different. I mean that I'm just telling you that anybody that thinks that is unbiblical. However, I do think that what's missing in our culture today is authority. We have no authority for anybody. Let me give you two examples, not in marriage. If a, if a law enforcement officer pulls someone over in today's world, they don't have to do anything. It's on the law enforcement officer to do the, to, they're guilty that 
they're guilty rather than the person they're pulling over. That's craziness. I look around the room and I know there's people that's been involved in one way or another in education. I, I couldn't imagine being in a classroom today. There is no authority. It's like the students have all the control. Well, that's ridiculous. They should have been in my third grade class. But that's a whole different story. That would also be illegal. Um, does anybody know what a yardstick is? <laughs> Mrs. Narek could get you from 35 inches away because she was holding on to an inch. But she could smack you with 30. That's a whole different message. But there's no authority. When we talk about submission, it means that there's a rank to the, uh, to the relationship. Wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters. By the way, it's interesting, Paul deals with those relationships in Ephesians. But just look at God. Christ submits to the Father. The church submits to Christ. And do you know that we, church folks, are even told to submit to our church leaders who care for our souls? It's voluntary. It's a voluntary placement under the authority of someone. And so this morning I'm saying to you that the authority of the home is the man. And I'm not ashamed about saying that. In a few weeks, you're going to get this little book. I've already purchased them called Kevin DeYoung. Yeah, I know you've got one to read, but you've got Kevin DeYoung called Men and Women in the Church. He does probably the best treatment of men and women in the culture today in reference to the church. I'm stealing straight from his book. So how do you, women, submit to the role of your husbands, just like the Bible says. Let me give you three ways. I'll move quickly. One, wives, support your husbands. If we go back to creation, the accretion account, Genesis 2.18, wives were made to be a helper for their husbands. There's just no way around it. It's what the Bible says. They're a completer. They're to, to come alongside of him, to complete him, and to help him. You are to help your husband not to control him. And there's all kinds of places for jokes here. But dear sisters, I say what I'm saying with just, if you could feel me, I'm shaking inside. You're not to lord over your husbands. You're to be his helpmate. Let me say this. I like saying this about the church, so let me say it about the home. It's a team sport. You can't play it without both of you. Wives are to respect their husbands. Look at verse 33 in our text. Notice he doesn't tell the wives to love their husbands. Because I think basically women have the capacity. Yep, I'm being very stereotypical. So is the Bible. Women have this capacity to love. Men sometimes don't. If, it's not that they don't have the capacity of love. It's the fact that their, their emphasis is on different things. So men do things differently. Do, do, do you realize that? Again, I feel like I'm crazy. Do you realize that men and women are different? Yeah, it's okay. Women have different, a whole different deal. I don't even know what the word is. They just, they're different. And that's good. We like them being different, right? But from the fall, way back in Genesis 3, if you go back, and I'm not going to take the time to extrapolate that and expound on that, but there's this idea that what 
the temptation that Eve had and that she submitted to was that she, she took a position that she wasn't, wasn't hers over Adam. Ladies, your men need respect from you more than anything else. Let me give you a definition of respect, biblical definition. It's to take notice of, to regard with special attention, to regard worthy of consideration, to consider worthy of esteem, or to regard with honor. If we all could just turn off TV and stop acting like the world, and when a wife speaks of her husband, she should do so in respectful terms. Not like he's a caveman beating his chest, eating a big drumstick. Because that's not the men I know. And I'm looking at my brothers. They're good men. And they're worthy of respect. So stop disrespecting them. And I, and I could give you examples of how Kim does that to me. Just by little, little questions. I'm, I'm not trying to embarrass her. Just, this is the way I feel disrespected. A text comes in. Who's that? What? What do you mean, who's that? We, this has happened to us last night. What is it? It's a text. Who's it from? <laughs> if you just let me get through the text, I will tell you. There's nothing to worry about. Does that make any sense? To any, am, I, am I preaching to anybody besides Kim and I have this all screwed up? Follow your husbands. So, so help them, respect them, and follow them. Now, that doesn't mean just to, just to take hands off. And, but, but what Kevin DeYoung says is stop second-guessing them. There's a phrase I've been learning lately. That's, that's to... That is to start assuming best intention. Do you know we're crazy people? Sean, I see him over there, and he says something. He's been gone for a long time, and he says something to me, and I immediately think the worst intention of him. Why do we do that? Because we're sinful. And, and, and so, so when, we, when we follow, it's... Wives, you're following out of voluntary because, because you're giving God glory. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great British pastor, said he was in the home of a preacher he was going to preach for. And there was the wife and the, the pastor there. And, and the story he tells is, by all accounts, the wife was the smartest one in the home. I mean, she was, she was top shelf. But Lloyd-Jones says that what the wife did was she was constantly setting the husband to look good. She was, she was helping him in this conversation with this esteemed preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and she was just always kind of, we would say, teeing the ball up so he could hit it out of the park. Not because she was forced to, not because someone was holding a gun to her head, because she loved her husband and she wanted to see him succeed and do the best for him. Does that make sense? So wives, there's books all about this. That is when we say, come under the authority, respect your husband, help him, follow him. It's, it's, out of, it's voluntary. It's the power of the gospel allows you to do this. Men, we're not going to leave you out. We have trouble loving. We're just not very good at it. And the example that we have 
is of Christ and the church. And if you read the next few verses, they're pretty, they're pretty explicit on how. There are three ways, men, that we can love our wives. We can lead, we can sacrifice, and we can care. Husband, lead your wives. De Young says he heard Piper, so these are two big shots. De Young says he heard Dr. John Piper say that a husband should use this phrase most, let, or this word most, let's. Let's, let us, let us do this. Let us pray. Let us read the Bible together. Let us get the kids ready. Let us go to dinner. Let us, do you get it? That's the way we lead. It's by letting us. It's, it's not about barking orders. Leaders who are truly leaders engage people. And engage people follow people. No one wants to follow a knucklehead. And if I can just be so candid, brothers, as I look upon my sisters and see them in their eyes, they deserve men who love them with biblical leadership. The toughest men, I'm, I'm going to get right at you guys, I'm sorry. It's taken me 33 years and I finally feel like I just started this deal yesterday. The toughest men read their Bibles. If you want an out, go someplace else because I ain't stopping this. If you want to be a real tough guy for your family, then you read your Bible. The strongest men teach God's word to their children and the most intimate men pray with your spouses. I want to tread lightly, but I want to say this. Men, you want to have the most intimacy you can ever have with your spouse something that will rock your socks, pray with your wife. Hold her hand. Sacrifice. The model is Jesus. He died for the church. That means he gave something up. That may mean, men, you have to lay something aside. And goodness gracious, I'm preaching to myself. That means the desire you have, that you want, you may need to set aside because you're going to sacrifice for the one God put in your life. It's not about getting your way all the time. And don't use the fact that you're the leader of the home. That's hogwash too. And so you call baloney on me and I'll call baloney on you. Marriage is not about getting what you deserve. Marriage is about you giving something they deserve. That may mean you need to look beyond your wife's faults. So you need to lead. You need to sacrifice. So let me ask you, men, are you willing to lay down your life? I mean, I'm not talking like in a gun battle over a bunch of thugs. I'm talking about lay down your life. Like whatever it is. Because she wants you there. care for her. You care for your own body, then care for her. You know, if you'd care for your wife as much as you care for your golf clubs, your guns, your boat, I'll use my boat, your job, your business, 
I'll, I'll throw myself in there. If you'd care for her about as much as that, things may change. I, I've not done this. So again, I'm not, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to myself. Take care of her needs. Provide for her security. Protect her. John Calvin said this. Now, he's the reformer, right? We're Protestants because of John Calvin and Martin Luther, right? Those are the two fathers of the Reformation. He says, the man who did not, does not love his wife is a monster. Wow. Wow. So women support, respect, follow, men lead, sacrifice, and care. So let me give you a few takeaways as I come to a conclusion. Kids, all of you, Jackson, listen up. Kingston, listen up. I can call the two of you out that I know that won't kill me. Here's your takeaway from the church this morning. When we talk about a subject, we want to know what the Bible says. Especially when it pertains to life and godliness. So in other words, how we're going to live how we're going to be men, how we're going to be little girls, how we're going to live this life, how we're going to relate to our relationships with others. We look to the Bible in no other place. The Bible is our guide. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Single people, all the single women in here, listen up. This is the pattern. This is what you're looking for for a wife, this is what you're looking for for a husband. If you are single, marry in the Lord. If a potential spouse that you're committed to is not a believer, I'm going to say it. It's a deal breaker. It's a deal breaker. I don't know why we have gotten so silly in the church. It's, we don't get what we're looking for in a spouse, uh, for a wife or a husband from Instagram, Hollywood, Twiddle, Twitter, and definitely not Hallmark. And I'm not joking. He or she does not exist on Hallmark. They just don't. That's not what we're looking for. If they do not love the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have to say to them, Either you're committed to Christ or I'm not committed to you. I'm sorry, I'm not apologizing about that. We've got a silly concept of this romantic garbly gook that lasts about 24 hours on a honeymoon and then it goes away and you realize that the person makes some kind of growling noise when they brush their teeth. Not that Kim does that, but... Okay, if you're divorced or not currently married, I don't know if we have anybody here. I'm not even going to look up, but it didn't work, then repent. If you have divorced friends, just tell them to repent. Pray for God's direction. Stay single long enough to marry in the Lord if that's God's will for their life. Does that make sense? We have widows and widowers here in the congregation. I'm calling you out in this message. We need you. We need you. You've got tons of experience. 
You've got tons of wisdom. Just pass it along. And young folks, I'm considering myself young, let's get around these senior saints and ask them questions and heed their advice. And you all need to pray for us. Pray that what man has joined, or what man has, or God has joined together, no man shall separate. Married couples. I think I've covered everybody, and I'm almost done. We're going to sing. And I didn't go so long. Doesn't matter how short or how long you've been married. I think you're our oldest married couple in the church. Is that right? Most senior? How long has it been? 60? 63 years. Anybody here married longer than 63 years? Kim, we're just getting started. We all can improve. I don't care how long you've been married, 63 years, I'm going to say it right to you, you can still learn to be married better and love each other more and grow deeper in Christ, and so can we, and so can the youngest. I think, Adam, are you and Marie the youngest couple here? So can you all. I think I've just about touched everybody this morning. But couples, we can get better. I heard someone saying, preparing for this message, I was listening to someone, they said this. One of the greatest witnesses for Christ is when we're out in a restaurant, we're together, it's when a husband and wife interact with each other the way the Bible says it. Kim said to me the last Sunday, no, two Sundays ago, I'll just confess one of my sins. I pulled in a parking spot, it was downtown Columbus, I don't know even what she said, and I, I snapped at her. I don't know, I mean, I didn't say anything foul, I just, I just said something. I really wasn't even trying to be hateful. But obviously my tone was, so she said, did you see that couple look at you when you said what you said to me? And all week long I've been thinking about that. I didn't have a witness for Christ. They knew, I, they could tell by the part of the way I was dressed, we'd been to church. So if I'm going to bark at my wife, I have no witness for Christ. Or if or she snaps at me. So what I'm, what I'm saying to us is if we are serious about our relationships with Jesus, we're going to take this institution of marriage very seriously. So whether you've been married 63 years or Adam, how long has it been? Almost three years. So as early as three years. There's just still so much better it can be, right? And I look at some singles here, some in a relationship. I look at young people. Set the bar high and see what God's going to do in and through your marriage. Concluding, I want to think about Jesus and the church. Jesus loved us with a self-sacrificing love. He rescued us. We were an undeservable bride, but he sanctified and cleansed us. The Bible says in this passage 
that he's making us a bride of splendor without spot or wrinkle. Jesus takes the scars of our sins and the marks of our waywardness and he makes them all gone. He's tenderly and lovingly caring for us until the final day. That's called sanctification. That's what he's doing with us. We're growing. Final thing I shared that I heard this week, or read this week, in other words, read this week, was about, we talk about having a new name written down in glory when we're saved. We, we say we got a new name or our name. Do you realize that when a wife takes, gets married, she takes on the name of her husband. She gets a new name. It's a new relationship. There's something new about this, this, this thing that's being created. I want you to think about the fact that when Jesus rescued you and saved you, when he rescued me and saved me, he has given us his name. So just like the preacher says to the congregation, it's, and, I, and I love saying this because typically it's, it's so true, it is my great and distinct honor for the very first time to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. whatever. When, when, that, when we got saved, I, I believe some way that, that the angels were said, hey, uh, by the way, look at, look at my new bride. You know, when he comes back, the book of Revelation says that he'll have our, our name on him. Our, our name is written in the book of life. Does that, does, does that mean you, you have his name? And he's loving you to the end. He has, as I told Ashley last week when we were going through baptism, he has sealed you. And you are secure in him. So when you leave here today, nothing shall separate you from his name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who's been so gracious for me as I am the least likely candidate to, to give this message. But Father, you know my heart. And I know that there was another preacher in the room you, the Holy Spirit. Minister to us from your word. We have read it. We have been singing it. Lord, I have attempted to pray it. So now I'm trusting that you will do something with it. Father, as I, as I bow, I, I want to pray for the marriages of St. Louis Crossing. Bind them together and bind the enemy from them. Make us all married people grow in grace and be great witnesses for Christ. I pray, Lord, for the single folks in our congregation. I pray that when they think about uniting with a man or woman in marriage, that they would do so only under the covenant and the covering of Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would take this thing so sacred and divine and it would become something that we hold so dear. Forgive us, Father, for treating it so casually and flippantly. Help us to redeem it. Let it be our calling. Let it be our vocation, this thing called marriage.
May our life's calling be to you and to it. Pray this in Jesus' name.